Volume four, Chapter five of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume four, Chapter five the cruel suspense as to the extraordinary disappearance of montague thorgood with vassiver the evening before lasted till near ten o'clock when as lady horatia and celestina were sitting at a breakfast-table where the uneasiness they were both under did not allow them to eat a servant announced captain thorgood celestina turned as pale as death at the name but there was no time to express any part of the fear she felt before he entered. His air was assuming, confident, and what the French call glorieux, but from that Celestina could judge nothing, for she knew he had too little regard for his brother to have been much affected at anything that might have befallen him. He paid his compliments in the common form to lady horatia who was too much concerned to be able to answer them and then turning to the silent trembling celestina he said with an unfeeling smile well madame your young champion is living good god cried celestina has he ever then been in danger yes replied the captain he has been in all the danger that a man can be who has a brace of pistols fired at him and is now in as much as is usual to a man who has a ball lodged in his shoulder celestina could not speak she could with difficulty breathe but lady horatia now eagerly inquired the particulars and learned that in consequence of violent language that passed between vassiver and montague thorogood after celestina left them the preceding evening a challenge had passed and a meeting been appointed in chelsea fields at seven o'clock in the morning that thorogood after quitting vassiver had in vain endeavoured to find out lady horatia and celestina and meeting his brother and relaying to him what had happened was by him dissuaded from attempting it as he could not see them without informing them of what had passed and was yet to happen that he had therefore gone home with captain thorogood who had at the appointed time attended him to the field where vassiver was with a friend and where the preliminaries being soon settled each fired without effect but neither declaring themselves satisfied they fired again and montague thorogood received a ball in his shoulder which was not extracted when his brother left him at his lodgings whither he was immediately whither he was immediately conveyed and where he was attended by an eminent surgeon and is he in danger sir said celestina with all that tremendous tenderness in her voice 
that her extreme sensibility gave her is he in danger is he in pain captain thoroughgood gave her a look which seemed to say humph it is true then that you are violently in love with this brother of mine and then answered the surgeon on whose skill i have great reason to rely does not seem to think him in danger but till the ball is extracted which will be attended with pain enough it is not i fancy easy to speak very positively however miss delamoray montague won't complain of the pain let it be as severe as it will while he recollects that he suffers in your defence and hears what i shall not fail to relate how dearly you are interested for him celestina could not say that this unlucky affair did not originate about her indeed she had not at the moment strength to enter on any explanation nor could she deny that she was extremely concerned or make captain thoroughgood comprehend that for a stranger under the same circumstances she should have been greatly if not equally sorry as to lady hiroshia who hoped that this accident would operate decisively on behalf of montague she rather encouraged than contradicted the idea that his brother seemed to entertain of celestina's partiality towards him and now the captain with as much unconcern as if nothing had happened seemed only desirous of displaying his own consequence and his own perfections as if to convince them both that for a woman who had ever seen him and his brother together to prefer the latter was an instance of most terrible want of discernment several times was celestina who could hardly support herself on the point of withdrawing but she thought that were she to quit the room it would look still more as if she was sinking under her apprehensions and she besides feared that were she absent the zeal of lady hiroshia would induce her to explain to captain thoroughgood more of her wishes and projects in regard to her and his brother than feeling as she did the impossibility of their ever taking place ought in discretion or in justice to be talked of for these reasons wretched and distressed as she was she had yet resolution enough to remain in her place till at the length captain thoroughgood having paraded about himself for near half an hour withdrew it was then that from the conversation of her friend celestina understood how much such an event would be expected to affect her sentiments in favor of montague thoroughgood and how impossible lady hiroshia considered it for her after all the sufferings he must sustain on her account to delay rewarding those sufferings and his long and ardent attachment to her longer than till his recovery of which notwithstanding what captain thoroughgood had said of the possibility of danger 
she seemed not to doubt, though she expressed great concern for the pain he must endure, and great anxiety to be informed of his actual situation. To all that she said, Celestina hardly answered a word. Her heart was too much oppressed, and she could say nothing that would not appear either like insensibility, ingratitude, or like the anxious solicitude of love. She wished to avoid either. She wished to be alone, and though the determination of Lady Horatia almost immediately formed to visit Montague Thoroughgood herself, was a measure which must strongly confirm all the reports that she wished to discourage, yet it released to her her own reflections, and she was glad at that moment to see her friend depart. Her own reflections, to which she was now left, were most uneasy. She knew that such an affair most unavoidably be much and immediately talked of. She knew how much it would be misrepresented, and what conclusions would be made upon it. The expression used by Willoughby the evening before still vibrated in her ears. What, and is all this terror, all this apprehension for Montague Thoroughgood? It was displeasing then to him that she should feel an interest for Montague Thoroughgood, and the little tenderness he had appeared to shrew her was repressed the moment he understood who was the subject of her alarm conscious that hopeless as she had long been of his affection and submitting to the necessity of their separation she had yet never bestowed on another the heart he had resigned she could not bear to think how much every circumstance had contributed to make him think that she had highly given it to the first candidate, nor could her mind dwell without extreme concern on that pain would give the elder Mr. Thoroughgood, whose hopes were, she well knew, centred in his youngest son, and who would not only be distressed by the sickness and danger to which he had thus exposed himself, but he hurt at his having acted so contrary to the principles he had always endeavoured to inculate, as to giving or receiving a challenge. Not were the sufferings of Montague Thoroughgood himself the least part of her concern, she apprehended he might be long confined in great pain he might perhaps lose his arm or even his life and while she regretted his rashness which had been the occasion of this hazard she could not but acknowledge that it was impossible a young man of spirit could otherwise have answered the unprovoked ferocity of vassiver of him she thought with terror, and knowing that he was capable of, of any impiety in the humour he was now in, she gave immediate orders that if he came she should be denied. All the circumstances of the preceding evening 
which the fear that had been best heard during the latter part of it had for a while driven from her recollection now returned to it and the repeated intelligence she had received throughout the day of willoughby's marriage all the particulars with which it had been related the happy looks of miss fitzhaman the proud triumph that sat on the features of her mother and the forced friendship with which lady molyneux seemed to have connected herself with persons who were so lately the objects of her aversion all confirmed the reports that were in circulation so as to put their truth beyond a doubt in a few days she was to hear of their actually being married to listen again to the detail of their nuptial splendour perhaps to witness them she was to be surrounded by a thousand impertinent people who would inquire and talk to her about the duel and with a heart so oppressed must attend to them with patience and answer them with civility the whole prospect before her was too unpleasant she fancied it impossible to be endured and resolved to attempt though at the hazard of appearing ungrateful perhaps of disobliging her best and almost her only friend to solicit leave to go down to jessie at least till the public conversation should have been turned to some other topic and the public curiosity no longer excited by the marriage of miss fitzhaman or the reconnoitre of vassiver and thoroughgood the natural softness of her heart made her song the natural softness of her heart made her among all these sources of particular uneasiness really and tenderly interested for montague thoroughgood and she awaited the return of lady horatia with as much solicitude as she could have felt if a beloved brother had been in such a situation perhaps she would have felt more for nobody but willoughby himself it was therefore a great relief to her harassed spirits when she heard that while captain thoroughgood had been in park street the bullet had been extracted that no bone had been injured by it and that he was as good a way as could be expected the surgeon declaring that from the nature of the wound and the good constitution of the patient he thought him in no danger and should probably at the end of a fortnight dismiss him with his arm in a sling the satisfaction celestina expressed on his account was not however increased when lady horatia added that far from complaining of his sufferings he exulted and rejoiced them flattering himself that she for whom he could willingly have risked a hundred lives if he had possessed them would feel some pity for him and knowing how much power in such a heart as hers the sentiment had to produce others still more favourable lady horatia then went on to say very seriously to celestina that she ought no longer to trifle with such a man but resolve immediately to give him her hand 
not only as the reward of his merit but to preclude the dangerous pretensions of vassiver to whose perseverance said she no refusal no repulse seems to put an end dearest madame said celestina did i ever trifle with mr thoroughgood surely i never meant it so far from it i have an hundred times regretted that your ladyship's partiality towards him and the influence you have and ought to have over me have combined to keep him in an error which all my candid dealing with him has not had the power to refute i have told him whenever he has urged the subject that he is in possession of my esteem and of my friendship but that for my love i have it not to bestow but he is content my dear with your esteem with your friendship and knows that in such a heart as yours love will follow his attachment to you especially as you now surely cannot allege that any other person possesses it celestina too conscious of all these circumstances that ought long since to have induced her to withdraw it from willoughby yet equally conscious that she could never feel for another that degree of affection of which she had been sensible for him was silent a moment or two and then said dear lady horatia why must i marry at all while you afford me your protection i can be happier and should i be unhappy enough to lose it should i not be more likely to meet content even with my small and humble fortune if i remained single then i gave my hand where i have no power to bestow my heart i am amazed replied lady horatia that with such very good sense as you possess you would accustom yourself to cherish these childish and girlish notions what is this love without feeling all the violence of which you suppose it impossible to be happy dear madam cried celestina interrupting her i have not heard you say that you once was sensible of yourself and that having been compelled to quit the man of your choice you considered such a necessity as a heavy affection and that it rendered most of the occurrences of your subsequent life indifferent to you yes you have heard me say so i merely acknowledged a folly a weakness which i pretended not to defend in myself and certainly not to encourage in you what has been the life of this man whom i called in the romantic simplicity of sixteen my first love when my father parted us and i was compelled by his authority to give my hand to general howard he was a younger brother with very little fortune in a twelvemonth afterwards the death of his elder brother and an uncle gave him a very large fortune and he quitted the navy where he had 
for so young a man highly distinguished himself and with his profession he seemed to resign his virtues he married a woman towards whom he professed himself indifferent and whose only recommendation was a fortune nearly as large as his own to her he behaved with neglect which she repaid with scorn and infidelity they seemed to agree in nothing but mutual extravagance till at length they parted and he now lives in france the greatest part of the year at other times wanders about the world to gratify his taste for variety and fly from those corrosive reflections which must pursue him who has ruined his health and his fortune by debauchery can i when i consider all this help despising myself for the pain i felt at being separated from such a man and ought i not rather to rejoice at what once appeared as insupportable misfortune ah madame said celestina it is well if by these reflections you have been enabled to conquer those remains of useless regret which might otherwise have embittered your life but you give me leave to ask since there is now no danger of renewing them give me leave to ask whether you sincerely believe that this gentleman had he married you would have passed a life as blamable you have told me that he was passionately attached to you you now say to the lady he married he was indifferent surely to that may be imputed all his heirs the mind became unhinged when he lost her to whom it was devoted and he aggravated himself the cruelty of his destiny to you he might have been an excellent husband because he loved you but losing the possibility of being happy he lost the wish to be respectable and since he could not live with you cared not with whom or how he lived there may be some truth said lady horotia in your remarks but to be tolerably easy celestina in this world you must learn to be more of an optimist and to believe that whatever happens could not nor ought to have been otherwise thus the inference of lady castlenorth whatever might have been her motives has saved you from a marriage that might have been a hideous crime thus not to enumerate other instances that must occur to your recollection thus the wild brutality of vassiver and even the wound of montague will all contribute finally to good and produce that happiness for you with him which i do not believe you would have found with any other person to this doctrine celestina could not agree but the fear and fatigue she had within the last twenty-four hours undergone disqualified her for any farther discussion on the subject at present or for the attempt she meant to make to prevail on lady horotia 
to allow her to go down to Jessie for a few weeks. Her eyes were indeed so heavy, her complexion so pale in consequence of her long agitation, that now the immediate fears for Montague Thurgood's life were over. Lady Horatia advised her to take some repose, a proposal which she gladly accepted, and in despite of the variety of uneasiness she still laboured under, exhausted nature obtained for her a few hours' respite in sleep, though she was, in her previous contemplations, so far from assenting heartily to the resigned philosophy of Lady Horatia, that she thought with anguish of the fate of Willoughby, who might, she feared, by the same disappointments in the early part of his life, become quite unlike what he was once, and from his cruel neglect of her since he had been in London, she already fancied she saw that this change had begun. But could she for one moment have seen the real estate of that mind, whose virtues she believed to be tarnished, she would have found it as worthy as ever of her tenderness, and engulfed to all her pity tormented by an affection which he could not indulge for one woman and entangled by a series of perverse events in an engagement with another embarrassed in his circumstances and discontented with himself his whole life passed in a continual tumult of contending passions and whatever means he took to calm and mitigate them seemed only to irritate his sufferings. Thus, when he left his own lodgings on the day of his interview with Miss Fitzhaman and his meeting Celestina, he went to the hotel where Vassiver usually lived when he was in town, and where it happened that a party of their mutual acquaintance that day dined. This prevented his having any conversation with Vassiver, which, though it might have contributed but little to relieve his vexation as to Montague Thurgood, would have eased his heart by unburdening it to his friend. And Vassiver drank so much that there was afterwards no hopes of his hearing him rationally. With him he was prevailed upon, at a late hour, to go to Ranlaw, where he saw Celestina again with the very man to whom he had been so repeatedly told she had engaged herself, and there, though Celestina happened not to see them together, he was compelled to take several turns with Lady Castlenorth, her daughter, and his sister, thus confirming by his appearance in public with the two former, what it was indeed too late to retract, though he had already most bitterly repented it. The quarrel between Vassiver and Montague Thorogood, of which he suddenly quitting the place where he met Celestina, was partly the occasion, for he had stayed he might have prevented it, added to the conviction he now had 
that thoroughgood was very soon to be her husband and increased his vexation in despite of all that reason could say to counteract the effect of it that reason repeatedly asked him if celestina had really been brought up and acknowledged as his sister and had with no small a fortune been addressed by thoroughgood and herself approved him whether he could in such a case have made any reasonable objection he was compelled to answer no yet his heart revolted against the assent which common sense urged him to give to a marriage which differed in nothing from what would then have been the case but in early prejudice he never could learn to consider celestina as related to him by blood nor did all the pains he had taken to learn the truth convince him of it though he dared not act as if he wholly disbelieved it yet so perverse is an heart under the influence of such passion as he felt that while he had relinquished her and agreed to marry another left that relationship should really exist he detested thoroughgood for having as he believed possessed himself of those affections which otherwise than as her brother he had owed he dared not claim when he left celestina under the care of mr howard at ranelagh the preceding evening he had gone as he promised in search of vassiver but not finding him any where about the room or in the avenues to the rotunda he had gone to his lodgings and waited there till near four in the morning he then left orders with his servant to send for him the moment his master came but vassiver instead of returning to his lodging at all that evening slept somewhere else and only called there in a hackney coach at half-past five o'clock to take his pistols and his servant being ordered to attend him with the surgeon there was no possibility of his man giving willoughby notice and of course he could do nothing to stop reconnoitre of what he did not hear till after it was over vassiver who then came to him was not sober and willoughby saw with more concern than surprise that the habits his friend had acquired since his last absence were becoming invertate and were ruining alike his constitution his fortune as and his understanding though he himself detested montague thoroughgood and cursed the hour when he had put celestina under the protection of his father and by that means thrown him into her way he was too generous even to an enemy not to feel that vassiver had behaved with unwarrantable brutality and notwithstanding his long friendship for him he felt too that had he been as successful as he believed thoroughgood to be all the friendship would have been cancelled he was vexed however at the conversation 
which this foolish business must occasion and in which he knew the name of celestina must be joined with that of montague thurgood and when vassiver spoke with some triumph of his having chastised the young pendant willoughby with a peevishness very unusual with him said he heartily wished he had let it alone from the little conversation he had with lady castlenorth the evening before he found she expected him to wait on them the next day reluctantly and with an aching heart he had then given a sort of promise and with still more regret he recollected it the sun now never rose for him but to bring him a renewal of misery and his dejection never left him but to give place to paroxysms of passion and fits of fruitless despair as the hour approached when he knew he was expected at the home of his uncle his unwillingness to go increased farnham who now anxiously watched all his looks saw a deeper gloom come upon him he saw him take out several letters read them replace them then snatch up a pen write a few lines and hurry across the room as if undecided what to do at length he wrote a few lines sealed the note and put it in his pocket farnham had heard a great deal of the duel that had happened the evening before and knew it was about miss dormoray and that a gentleman had been wounded dangerously he had heard conversation between his master and vassiver and supposed from their manner that they parted in anger this circumstance put in his head which was rather an honest than a clear one that some other affair of honour in which his master was concerned was still in agitation and he so thoroughly persuaded himself of this that he determined to observe narrowly everything that happened and to take all possible precautions against his master's having such an accident besell him as had happened to mr montague thoroughgood for this purpose he attached himself very closely to the hole in the door between the dining-room and the bedchamber and when he was summoned by a furious ring to attend him he was under the necessity of first slipping softly downstairs and then running up to ask his commands willoughby gave him two notes and asked if the groom was within on hearing he was not then go yourself said he with these two notes no answer is required to either return as soon as you can farnham promising to be expeditious left him and reading the directions found one to be to mr moray the other to mr vassiver this with all he knew of his master's former attachment and embarrassing doubts about celestina and all that had happened that evening before and that morning convinced him beyond a doubt 
that another duel would happen which he imagined it to be his particularly duty to prevent he was not very fertile in expedients but it occurred to him that the best way would be to carry both these letters and at the same time communicate his fears to sir philip and lady molyneux sir philip was not home but lady molyneux on hearing he wanted to speak to her ordered him up he opened his business with great gravity detailed all the cause he had for apprehension from his master's behavior and produced the two notes lady molyneux affected to agree with him as to the justice of his fears and to commend his prudence and fidelity then she told him she thought it would be the best way to open the letters which as she happened to have a seal with the willoughby arms the same as her brother's she could easily reseal and send if they contained nothing of which they suspected and if they did that it would be proper to destroy them poor farnham trembling as he spoke assented to all this only treating her to take care that his master might never know this she readily promised and taking all the blame upon herself bade him retire while she opened the letters and come up again when she rang she then read them that to vassiver was merely to put off an appointment for the evening which willoughby found himself unable to attend that to celestina ran thus i should have sent to you madame immediately on my arrival in london but illness for some days prevented my being able even to write and in that interval i heard that you were on the point of putting yourself into the protection of one who might deem such an address improper and render it needless that you have come to this resolution without consulting any of those who were once honoured with your friendship i can now no longer doubt i however feel it in some measure incumbent upon me to offer you every service in my power to say that as soon as my own affairs are settled i shall have the honour of troubling you on pecuniary matters and if in the meantime you have had any wish to see me as your friend i will obey your summons but leave it wholly to yourself i shall consider your silence as an acknowledgment that such a interview will be painful to you and submit to offer at a distance those sincere wishes for your happiness which must ever be felt by dear madame your obedient and most humble servant george willoughby bond street may seventeenth seventeen eighty nine this letter cold and unlike his former style to celestina as it was his sister immediately resolved to suppress her hatred to celestina was increased to a degree of inverted malignity of which it was difficult to conceive her haughty indolence was capable 
and this arose cheesily from the admiration she everywhere saw her beauty excited which was a point in which she could not bear to be excelled convinced as she internally was that celestina was an orphan stranger brought up on her mother's charity she chose rather to leave the report of their relationship uncontradicted than to see her united to her brother and put on a footing with herself to which that equivocal relationship could give her no claim and since the suppression of her letter to willoughby which an interview now would explain she was doubly solicitous to prevent it her pride would not bear that her brother should be come the humble and reduced country gentleman that he must submit to be if he married a woman without fortune and her avarice represented the possibility of his being in such a case a burden on his affluent relations all these considerations determined to her to stifle it and the sentence with which the letter concluded assured her she might do it with impunity she therefore called up farnham on whose inquiry it was very easy to impose and told him that the letter to mr vassiver was very immaterial and that he might carry that but the other to miss moray was of a nature to involve his master in great difficulties and that therefore she would destroy it she then put it in the fire and bid him carry the other which she had carefully resealed this farnham immediately did but being unwilling to be guilty of a greater falsehood than there seemed to be occasion for he actually went to park street that he might tell his master he had been there on his return willoughby questioned him who he saw at lady horatia's for this question the poor fellow was not prepared however he answered i saw john sir my lady's own footman well and was mr moray at home no sir replied farnham who had now acquired courage but you know you bade me not to wait for an answer well but had you not the sense to ask where she was no sir to be sure i did not think of that but however i fancy she was visiting sir the wounded gentleman in oxford street willoughby knew that montague thoroughgood lodged there and that it must be him alone who was described as the wounded gentleman and why do you think so sir said he fiercely as if poor farnham had been accessory to it and what the devil have you to do to think about it lord sir cried farnham only because as i came along i saw my lady's coach at the door where i knew young mr thoroughgood lodges and just nodded to sam who was upon the box cursed fool exclaimed willoughby could you not have asked whether she was there or no yet why i should desire to know added he rising and walking about 
with his hands clenched together. What is it to me? And why do I torment myself? Go, sir, and fetch my powdering gown and my things to dress. Poor Farnham, convinced that Lady Molyneux was right in what she had done, yet rendered doubtly timid by the conscientiousness of having committed a sort of fraud on his master, hastily obeyed. End of Volume 4 Chapter 5 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.